0: Welcome to the Careers Employability and, and Skills podcast from Queen's University Belfast. This episode is hosted by Mike Stevenson, a motivational speaker who will be speaking on the theme of resilience, bouncing back from rejection, and adaptability. Hello, everyone. My name is Mike Stevenson. Just give it a couple of minutes to see if anyone else comes on, and then I'll we'll get started. I hope the sun's shining in Belfast as it is in Edinburgh. Yep. Yep. We'll just give it a couple of minutes so that we get everyone on that we possibly can, if that's okay. <coughs> I'm getting lots of lovely waves, that's lovely. Wave to you back. <coughs> Oh look, little hearts, I love it. That is so life affirming. Oh, that's wonderful. Someone else joined, yeah. Um, Shall I start? I think so. Um, I am delighted to be meeting you today. I wish I was there in person because nothing beats the, the connection between people. And that's something we've all been denied to a huge extent this year. And it's hit all of us. And I mean me, I'm stuck here in a small room in Edinburgh. And normally I'm out giving talks live and I've had none of that for I think March the 13th in 2020 was the last time I had any interaction with people as a live speaker. So today I'm doing something that's counterintuitive today, but I am just as passionate and my messages remain the same. And first of all, let me congratulate you because you have done something that I never managed to do. Um, Because I was chucked out of school at 15. It wasn't because I was particularly academically daft. I just couldn't focus in the classroom. I had probably, I probably had attention deficit disorder, but hadn't been invented then. So anyway, I got chucked out at 15 and, you know, I got a couple of jobs straight away and then my parents were dissembling. You know what happens when your parents get divorced and the family was in turmoil. So I went down to London and I started working there and I got the sack from this job because Apparently the customers in London couldn't understand a word I said. So I got the sack, I went back to my landlady and she said, well, if you haven't got a job, you haven't got accommodation. So she asked me to leave there and then. So I ended up sleeping out. Now, um, you know, there are different ways to get an education and I would not recommend doing it the way that I did it. But, you know, sleeping out was uncomfortable and it was sometimes really dangerous as well. But I did learn things. And I'll tell you a couple of lessons I learnt right back then that have stayed with me for the rest of my life and actually uh, provide the best life lessons you can possibly provide. And the first one was one night I was in Piccadilly Circus. It was really cold. It was minus two. And I was huddled up in a shop doorway. And this charity drew up. In a van and they said look we'll take you to hostel accommodation tonight and in the morning we'll help you find something more permanent and i said oh thank you thank you um reprieve from the london cold as chance to to get warm and perhaps to to get some accommodation the first thing that arrived the first thing that happened when i arrived at this hostel accommodation a big place in peckham called the spike i was asked to take my clothes off And then I was sprayed with a hose and I felt absolutely that size. So I escaped back into the streets because at least then I had some dignity. So my first lesson is this, and it applies right across all aspects of life, is that people want to be treated as though they're valued and they're significant. So ever since then, I have worked really hard to ensure that every interaction I have with someone lifts them. It doesn't sink their spirits. Does that make sense? Because this is so important. We have so many interactions. Actually, I was talking um, on public health to um, this conference on public health, and it was in Waterford. So it was all online, of course. And what happened was I told this story And the outcome of that was that every person who works in the front line of health services should be trained in really high standard of communication. So that imagine if you had Disney's got this in in Florida, where you make sure that every interaction you have lifts people and you look at the back of the queue to make sure that people at the back of the queue are looked after and feel part of this adventure. So that is something that I I learnt very on. The other lesson, and I suppose this applies to anyone at any stage in life. Um, One night in Piccadilly Circus, um, I found the most prized accommodation available. And this was a cubicle in these toilets. And I tried day after day after day, night after night after night, and I couldn't find one. One day I arrived and I saw an open cubicle. So I went in there, I shut the door, sat in the toilet street, Try, tried to position my head to the left or the right of this uh, pipe. There was like a spine going up behind me. And about, you know, 10 minutes later, there was a knock on the door. And I thought, what? And this very posh voice said, excuse me, do you have room for a spare tonight? And I opened the door and there was this guy with long hair, struggling beard, with an old coat on, with a rope tied around, he was the archetypical vagrant. And I said, of course, come in. And he sat beside me um, or across from me and we talked for five hours. Now, the reason I mentioned this story is that he told me why he was in the streets. And it goes back to him being a very successful businessman, making lots of money. he lived in a big house near Stanmore in Middlesex and he had a wife and little girl but he spent very little time at home. And he used to lavish them with gifts. That was his way of compensating. And one day on his wife's birthday, he said to his wife, I've got to be surprised for you outside. They walked out and there was this red sports car. And he said, why did not you take yourself and the wee daughter, I can't remember her name, for a spin. And off they went down the drive and he's waving goodbye to them. He never saw them again. They were killed. Um, they wrapped themselves around a tree. He threw away everything and went out on the road. That's how he described it. And he was happy. He was happy because he realised that the most important thing to him, he had ignored, he'd put into second place. And this is really important because he said to me, and I was 16 at this time, he said, you know, whatever you do, never lose sight of what's important to you. And he said, I couldn't have lived with myself as a rich person after that because I'd lost the only thing that really mattered to me. So that has stayed with me as well. I've never pursued money as, as an aim. I've never had that as my personal vision to make money. And because I believe that, you know, you make money from doing the right thing, the consequence of what you do. So that was another lesson. Now, I really do believe, and this may sound counterintuitive to many, I think after COVID, and this is tough, this has been a tough year, we are going to face the most exciting time in human history. Because I think what we have now and what we've learned from this is that the priorities of the world are around climate change, are around business doing well by doing good. It's around, you know, creating a different kind of environment in our cities. You know, the the motor cars have been given a brilliant quality of life, hasn't it? We've even built little houses for it. I'm talking about garages when people are sleeping out. So there's a huge realignment, but the opportunities emerging for people coming out of university are vast. They're absolutely vast. Think of all the things that need to be done. And that is your your canvas for the future. I was talking to a girl in, in Ireland this morning who wanted to buy a frying pan. This is a a story, sorry. She wanted to get a frying pan during lockdown. And of course she went on, she couldn't find anywhere in Ireland. And she did not want to give her money to Amazon. I'm not dissing Amazon. I'm just saying that she wanted the money to stay in Ireland. So she is now setting up a website, going around all the suppliers and saying, look, let us make sure that we sell and keep the money inside Ireland because we want to grow our economy. We want to build wealth in our community. So she's doing it now. So this was, I called it from the frying pan to the fire in her belly, actually. she never thought of that. But it's extraordinary, isn't it? Because every day you see things that don't satisfy you or you see a space to be filled. And when you get this mindset that you have the capacity and the knowledge and the power to do something about it, life takes on a different meaning. But you know, Colonel Sanders, who set up Kentucky Fried Chicken, he took his recipe around trying to get investors. And he was 70 years old and he got 80 fails. 80 people rejected him. And the 81st said, I'll, I'll back this. It's a great idea. I love the recipe. <coughs> so there you are. Things don't happen overnight. People ask me to talk about my successes and I say, well, I first of all need to talk about my failures. I failed at school. I failed in my first five jobs. I then went and did some education. I did some catch-up education and I did well. That was the first thing I'd ever succeeded in, was passing the exams at the age of 23. So that's when my life really started. But let me just tell you how I have taken a fail and turned it into a success. When you're sleeping out, you get a really sharp, difficult experience. It is something that stays with you for the rest of your life. Now you could get out of that and say, that's me out of it now. I'm going to make money. I'm going to do something for myself. 10 years later, I went for an interview for a community development worker in Edinburgh. And I had my CV written on an A4 sheet. Written because I didn't have a typewriter. This is long before, you know, word processing and computers. So it was a handwritten CV and he's looking at it and he said there's not much here that tells me that you can stay in a job that you're going in, you know, you've got any kind of consistency that you've got any skills to offer, and I says, look, let me just explain. I've slept out in London before me there. Am I still there? Can anyone see me? Can you see me? I I can't, because I can't see myself. Yes. Okay. That's fine. Um, So, no, you can't see me. Sound is back. No visual. Um, Ah, right, sorry about that. I'm assuming you can now see me, because I can see myself. So what was I talking about? I was talking about going for this interview, and, and I was asked, you know, what do you bring to this job? Because I can see nothing that tells me that you're suitable to work with people in a position of responsibility. And I says, well, I have survived on the streets. I've learned to look after people on the very edge of existence. I've learned to entertain pedestrians in London and Dublin. But I've also learned how to lay bricks, how to plaster walls, how to paint walls, how to do some basic joinery, because I've been in the building trade. I've learnt all of this. This is above all, I have learnt to turn my failure into a learning journey, I got the job. But here's the thing. One of the first things I noticed when I started in this area uh, of Edinburgh called Leith was that no one had any inside toilets. There was no running hot water. There were no baths. There were no showers. And that's when I found out that you could set up a housing association if you've got the community behind you. So I worked at that, I knocked on doors, and we got this huge support from the community. And we set up a housing association. Now, here was I, just 10 years after, I was sleeping out in the streets of London. And what drove me was that experience. So it was like a catharsis to be able to do something. And we had landlords who were missing. And this really you struck me as something I had to do. So here we are, we've got money to be able to do up these houses, to buy out the landlords and we transformed this area. That was the way I gave back. Now, I had nothing in my toolbox, apparently, that would enable me to do that. But you know something, when you need to do something, you find a way. So after all these years of failure, I had something to talk about, something to say I was part of this. I remember the only job that I ever felt that I was was needed and valuable was this. I was working the building trade. I was a bricklayer's assistant. So I used to go up and down the the scaffolding with hods with bricks in them. And I arrived one day on a fresh building site. It was a start from scratch. And this big Welsh foreman, he put his arm around me. He says, welcome, Michael. He says, before you start, I want to show you something. And he took me into this hut and he showed me the plans for the building. And he said, this is the palace you're building. Now, I suddenly felt this surge of energy because I'm building. You know, I'm just a bit part player, but from that day on, on that site, I used to arrive first thing in the morning and leave at the latest possible option. I was fired up, I was building a palace. And then I used to see people in the pub Most of them worked in the civil service and then I would arrive and I'd be full of energy. My eyes were bright and they were slumped over the bar with their ties loosened. And they say, why are you so happy? And I say, I'm building a palace. And that was a real lesson because, you know, we talk about what we do rather than why we're doing it. Now, the greatest lesson I have learned in my life is that we're driven not by a job. We're driven not by a title. We're driven not by the money that we earn. We're driven by this sense of purpose. And that was the first place I ever experienced that. When I was busking in Dublin, you know, uh, a year later, I, I was at the top of Grafton Street in Dublin. I was the first guitarist ever to play in Dublin on the streets. And I met Phil Lynott. And Brian Downey from Thin Lizzy used to come and watch me. Isn't that extraordinary? So life is open to all kinds of opportunities. Things will happen. What we tend to do is we kind of close them off because we've got a very fixed idea of where we want to be. I hope so. Maybe you don't. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Things will happen. If I can explain to you that I got an MBA at the age of 43, I learned to swim at the age of 62. And I'm 70 now. I'll be 71 in a week's time, in fact. But I don't feel that age. You know why? Because life is a learning journey. It's full of opportunities. And you never stop learning. But what people don't do, necessarily, is allow themselves to learn. Because every time you leave the house, you know, we've got our senses, we need to keep those senses alive. You know, if you're writing a book, the one memory, and I am writing a book at the moment, so I can understand, you know, why authors do this. They talk about smells. And, you know, when I started writing, I started remembering the smell of linseed oil in the town of Kirkcaldy, where I was, you know, brought up, because that was the centre of the linoleum industry in Britain. So this constant smell of linseed oil. When I moved to Edinburgh, it was a smell of yeast. It was a smell of breweries. And I think about, you know, the patchouli oil that my first girlfriend wore. These things stay in your mind. Bakeries, when you're passing a bakery, you get the smell of fresh baked bread. These senses have to be kept alive. So when you go outside, you know, make sure you notice everything. I remember going on a tour of Edinburgh, a walking tour, and learning things I didn't know, seeing things I'd never seen, because I would pass it, you know, multiple times. The trouble was, I didn't look up. I didn't know there was a cannonball embedded on this, on the side of this house in the high street. I didn't know that until someone showed me it. So really important to keep looking, to keep listening, to keep testing your senses, you know, smell the the beauty of you know flowers and and the the, the wet leaves you get in autumn. So that's in a lesson. Now I'll tell you about purpose because purpose is something that really does define our lives. Now you may not have a very clear purpose. You might have a purpose to you know do well for people. You might have a person you know, might have a, a a mission about you know climate change. You might have one about, you know, improving the lives of people who are living on the margins. You might have one about wanting to contribute to health. In fact, all of these things are linked in so many ways. But I'll tell you a story about purpose. And this was a real extraordinary moment for me because I talked about purpose. And it's always very hard to explain. People didn't really understand what I meant by purpose. And I say, but I was building a palace, and then I was, you know, transforming an area so that people could live in, you know, homes with running hot water and showers and bathrooms and not have to worry about those daily tasks that they almost, you know, had forgotten how to, you had to wash in the kitchen sink. So can you imagine the privacy problems? Can you imagine the difficulty without running hot water? without the ability to wash, extraordinary. So I was in, my mother's Lebanese. Um, So I used to go to Beirut uh, quite a lot because I had an aunt living there. And my aunt was dying. So I was determined to go out there. And so I booked a flight. The flight was delayed by two days because they closed the airport because there'd been relentless bombing for two weeks in South Beirut. So when I arrived there, it was two days after the bombing when the flights had reopened again. And I was walking around South Beirut and there was rubble everywhere. You cannot explain how difficult it is to you know take in what's around you. You see you've got dust coming into your mouth all the time. You're breathing in dust. You see cars crushed beneath concrete. You see all the accoutrements of life, you know, buried. You see children's clothing. You see toys. You see dining tables. You see all these things that, you know, demonstrate that there was life there. Abundant life. And amidst this rubble was a man selling clothing on top of the rubble. And the guide I was with said, that used to be a shop. Now, my assumption would be that losing the shop would be devastating. So I said to him, it must have been horrible to lose your shop. And he said, I'm not a shopkeeper. I give people style and confidence. And I thought, wow, that's purpose, isn't it? Because he saw the shop merely as a vehicle for his purpose. And when that vehicle, you know, got lost, it didn't matter because his purpose was not about having a shop. So that really taught me. And I'll tell you a funny thing. I said to my guide, that's a real road to Damascus moment for me. And he said, well, actually, you're on the road to Damascus, which I was. So that's the thing about purpose. Purpose is really powerful. Now, even if it's a short term purpose, you know, focus on your purpose rather than, you know, I met someone um, at a network meeting, you know, these business network meetings, you probably don't. But you sit around tables and then you go around the table and someone next to me said, I'm an insurance salesman. Now, I wanted to go to the toilet. I just wanted to get out. And actually, one of the symptoms of being 70 is that you do have to go to the toilet more than you did when you were 17 or thirty seven. In fact nowadays I'm probably looking for a, a toilet with a non-suite bedroom. But that aside, I thought, you know, I'm an insurance salesman. Here is someone who wants to sell you insurance. So I said to him, Look, why don't you start saying to people? You know, I help people sleep at night. And of course they'd always ask questions, wouldn't they? He told me three months later that uh, his business was doing better because he changed the narrative. You know, I help people sleep at night. And of course, you get some jokers who say, why, do you hit them over the head with a baseball bat? Are you dealing with hypnol? Are you an anesthetist?" No, I give people insurance that fits their lifestyle, their business, and allows them to sleep comfortably knowing their children, their business, and all the rest of it are covered. So his business changed because of that and it's so simple because that was a purpose rather than this is what I am. So when you talk to people start this narrative about your purpose rather than I want to be a. Does that make sense? Because people say you know I'm in a job and they say you know when you watch TV quizzes and it goes down and people say "I'm I'm a data analyst or I'm a you know, assistant, um, you know, laboratory uh, technician. Why don't they say something like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm part of a team that's trying to find a solution to cancer. The difference would be extraordinary, wouldn't it? And, you know, teachers sometimes at school actually, you know, bury these ambitions. I remember speaking at one school and it was a very poor part of Edinburgh where, You know, people very rarely went to university. In fact, they'd had one student went to university in the last 20 years. And I was standing at their their, their prize giving. And this little boy was Polish, uh, living in Edinburgh, 15 years old. I said, what do you want to do? And he says, I want to find a cure for Alzheimer's. And the teacher said, well, you know... (laughs) Um, what you have to focus on is getting your exams, passing them and then getting into medical. He says, I know that. The teacher didn't have to say that because he was a little boy who wanted to cure Alzheimer's. Now, I said to the teacher, look, I want to put him in touch with people in the Scottish government so that they can have him as part of this journey towards curing Alzheimer's. We now know There is a drug that is making a difference. We also know that artificial intelligence in America has found ways of reducing the impact of Alzheimer's by 80% simply by looking into a box. This is the same people who have got a pad that if you put it on top of your head, it increases your working memory by 20%. So these things are happening. So all these people with dreams are finding ways to provide solutions and the world needs solutions. It needs ideas. So be a solutions person. Be an ideas person. Don't fall into the kind of trap of, you know, I'm unemployed or, you know, having to do a job that I hate. No, whatever job you do, you might have to do. Listen, I had 29 jobs before I was 26, right? Did I enjoy them? Actually, I did. Because you know something? There is not a single job that if you don't win with the right attitude to do the best of what you can do, then you will find yourself, you know, miserable, unhappy. Saying to people, oh, I'm working in McDonald's. Well, McDonald's does brilliant training. Every job I was in, I learnt something extraordinary. And when you bring all that learning together, it makes what you want to do with your life so much better because you've got all these additional references that you can call on. It's extraordinary what you can gather together by the experiences you have. So take any job where you're waiting. Take it. You know, do it. Try and give your best of it. But you will learn things about yourself. You will learn things about other people. One of the greatest things I learnt when I was young, I worked in a couple of shops. And, you know, I loved giving customers service. I loved the banter. I loved to, you know, raise a laugh with them and... I found that using humour, you know, cemented the relationship and they they spent a bit more. It was that simple. Now, I've used that in my talking. I've used it um, when I had a business that was doing design. um, And I would talk to people. I would be the kind of joker and they absolutely loved it. And people said to me, they used the phone up for a laugh. They were feeling down. These were customers that stayed. They stayed because i built a relationship with them. Does that make sense? Because life is about relationships. And, you know, we've got a chance every time we do anything to build relationships. Look at the people around you today. What kind of relationships are you building with them? The scope ahead of us has got enormous, enormous opportunity. You may not find an opportunity early on in the cycle. You may have to wait. You may have to do other jobs. You may have to do other things. But if your purpose is clear, it doesn't matter. Because everything you do is feeding in information, is feeding in, you know, knowledge, is feeding in, you know, new insights. So use them. This is a fantastic time to be alive. or It will be when we come out of COVID finally. Because there are so many things that we know we've got to do to make the world a better place. I hope you're like me and you think that's a decent thing to do. That's a worthy passion to want to make a world of difference to people. And of course it is. You know, whatever job you're doing, if it's got a human purpose, you do it with about 20, 25% extra effort. You bring something different, something additional to that. So there's no such thing as just a job. There's no such thing as justa, because when people say, I'm just a, listen, I've talked to organisations up and down the country, and you meet people in a conference, which I wish I was doing today, by the way, and you say, what's your role? And they say, I'm just an administrator. And I say, what do you mean you're just an administrator? You mean you're the engine oil of the organisation? And they go, I've never thought of it like that. Do you see how important words are? Words are really important, but the narrative that we use ourselves is also important. I mean, can you imagine the the difference that history might have, you know, thrown up if Nels, if Martin Luther King had stood on the Mount in Washington all those years ago and said, "I have a strategic plan," but he didn't use the word dream, and that is what life is about: is having dreams. We quash dreams in children too readily. You know, uh, Chris Hoy, the, the cyclist, he went on to win, I think it's six gold medals at the Olympics. Well, he was in a private school in Edinburgh, so he wasn't brought up in poverty. But he said to his parents when he was 10, I'm going to be an Olympic cyclist. I'm going to be a gold medalist. And they said, oh, well, fantastic. They bought him a bicycle. And look what he's done since. Now, they could have said, look, get on with your studies. And when you passed all your exams, we'll get you a bicycle. No, they bought him a bicycle then. He passed his exams. He's a bright guy. You know, so this idea that, you know, you're frightened to talk about your dreams because someone will, will quash them. Don't let them quash your dreams. Don't let them redirect you. You are you. You have extraordinary talents. You have, you know, the most, you've got power that you don't yet know. Language is important, but the language you speak to yourself and how you speak to people, remember, lifts people's spirits rather than, you know, bringing them down. You know when you've got a room full of happy people and someone comes in with a face, they look as if they've, you know, experienced some awful trauma and how the people laughing soon develop the same facial expression and the same mood as the person who's come in because our default is not to smile it's not to feel positive about things our default in our culture is to be miserable and if someone is coming in with a miserable face we will join them that's what happens You, you. You think about all those times when you've been in a situation where everyone's really happy. Someone comes into the room and brings them down. Now, we come across complexity sellers wherever we do. I'm going to just, before I finish, I'm going to go on another few minutes. But I I want to talk about a guy in Brazil called Jaime Lerner. Now, think about this. This started in the early 80s. Not now. This started in the early 80s. He was an architect, and he had a vision of a city designed for people. Now, who could argue with that? You, know, if he'd said, "You know, here we are. Um, we've got too many cars on the road. I want to reduce the number of cars," there would have been huge opposition to that, because he focused on the vision, the bigger vision, and he said a city designed for people. Now, he he was the mayor of a city at this stage, and he started making things happen. Let me did, which showed that using a bit of imagination and being absolutely determined to achieve your vision um, is, there's a lesson here, right? Because you don't always follow the path that's been set before you. You don't form the habits, the expectations that people have laid, you know, in this road before you. You think, can I do it? Can I achieve it? without going down the road of, you know, having to follow the same process everyone else has done. So two things he did. One, he went down to meet the slum dwellers who were living on the very edge of existence in these awful slums. Their homes are washed away, you know, every year um, when the rains came. And he said, I want you to recycle 100% of your waste. And of course they would go, what? You know, why should I be concerned about waste? when, you know, I don't know where my next meal is coming from. But he said, I will give you an exchange. I'll give you food and football tickets. And then he said, by the way, I want you to move to a place where you're safe, where you've got a nice house, and I want you to help to build those houses. So I will train you up in the skills to build houses. That city now has 64% of its lowest paid population working in the construction industry now. It's great. But he also said to his operations director the the municipality, he says, how long does it take to pedestrianise a street? And they says, oh, three months, six months. He says, I want it done in 48 hours. Did they do it in 48 hours? Absolutely, they did. And all the neighbouring shopkeepers on the Monday morning were children, were not tethered to their parents, were people sitting eating sandwiches, where people were looking in the shop windows. And by the way, they were spending money. All the neighbouring shopkeepers came and said, we want some of that. They created the largest pedestrianised precinct in the world. They've got the most used, the sexiest transport system in the world. If you think that in a city of 1.2 million people, Curitiba in southern Brazil, more people travel on their public transport than do New York's on a daily basis. New York's got 8.6 billion. That's a success story. But he was asked, you know, how did you do this? You had no more budget than anyone else. He said, well, the reason is, um, first of all, if you take a zero off the budget, you've got genuine creativity. Take two zeros off the budget, you've got sustainability. But he said, you've got to beat off the complexity sellers. And that's what he's done. No one in Curitiba lives more than 400 metres away from a bus, a train, a tram. It's an extraordinarily beautiful city. He's built parks all around the city. And some of the parks have got sheep, so they don't even have to cut the grass. It's a genuine ecosystem city. And, you know, people love living there. That's what this is about. It's about you having ideas, you having the determination, but knowing that it won't happen overnight because setbacks are there to test us. They're not there to stop us. They're there to test us. And if you think about little children, remember when you were a toddler, you were learning to walk. You would fall about 80 times, wouldn't you? But children, as soon as they fall, they get up again. As soon as they fall, they get up again. And then they do things their own way. They walk backwards. They walk on walls. They avoid the cracks in the pavements. Where has that gone? Bring it back. Bring it back today. You have to bring that child back in you. Children do not see barriers. Children do not, you know, get depressed about things that we get depressed about. I was doing a campaign to encourage people to drink less in West Lothian in Scotland. And do you know who I chose to design the campaign? Nine and 10 year olds. They came up with the most fantastic campaign posters and slogans. One of them was when you drink it means broken promises. No adult had thought of that. And when their parents saw this, they were just, oh my God. You know, I promised to take her to the zoo last week. And then on Saturday, I said, I've got a bit of a hangover. Can we do it some other time? To that child, the zoo was Saturday. And you can't just say, we'll put it off to another time. Because children are really alive to that. So deliver on your promises. Communicate with people in a way that lifts their spirits. Find your purpose and stick with it. Make sure that whatever you do, you do to the best of your ability. You're never just a, You know, if you go to Los Angeles around Hollywood, Hollywood all the waiting stuff. aspiring actors and actresses. That's how they get noticed. So there is no sense over there that working in the hospitality industry is anything less than an opportunity. And what a great place to learn how to interact with people, how to, you know, make people happy, how to build relationships, build friendships. I have offered jobs to two people who have served me in a restaurant in the past, you know, 20 years. Why? Because there was something about them. I didn't know what the qualifications were. There was something about them. It's a brilliant place to get noticed. So, you know, setbacks are there to test us. They're there to maybe redirect us a bit. They're never there to stop you. And if you have the attitude of a toddler, or the attitude I've got now, because I lost all my business this year, not a penny, this is the first gig I've had in over a year, of any meaning and, you know, I'm still here. I'm enthusiastic. I've used this year for learning. I've used this year to watch Netflix. And by the way, I love Netflix. I've seen things that are blow me away. There is never a downtime. If something takes you two years to achieve, you will, you will appreciate it more than if it took you one day. There's a, a professor in Stanford University in the States and I've shared a stage with her. Her name is Professor Carol Dweck and she wrote this book called The Growth Mindset. And I'll just tell you this very, very briefly because she's a wonderful woman and this has infected the way we start to do things in Scotland because she was over here helping us. And it goes like this. She noticed that those students who arrived at Sanford, who'd sailed through, whose parents were wealthy, who had no hurdles on their way, they struggled when they arrived at ground zero at Stanford University. Those that have struggled, those that have worked really hard to get there, they were the ones that thrived. So there's a lesson, right? Every struggle, every fall, every setback strengthens you. It makes you a better person. It gives you an advantage over other people. So you're going to be leaving University, I don't know what you're going to be doing. I don't know what subject you've done. But don't think, because you can't get a job immediately in the subject area in which you've specialised in, that it means anything. It doesn't. When I look at CVs and I see someone's worked at McDonald's or someone's stacked shelves or someone has done a gardening job or they've done voluntary work, I, that's what sets me off. That's what makes me realise that this person has got something added to the qualification. So we are approaching a time of enormous opportunity. I really do believe we're approaching a time of excitement, breathtaking excitement. So many things are happening now, every day I see things that are gonna change the world. The young girl in London at university who's discovered that fish skin and scales can create an alternative to plastic. And of course, fish are ubiquitous around the world. Isn't that fantastic? So nothing is impossible. Nothing human is impossible. So you've got, you know, a opportunity, an opportunity ahead of you that I wish, I wish I was at your stage in life. I really do. Because I think the world is going to be, become a better place over the next 10 years. Because we've learnt something. Go and make it happen. You've got so much power that you don't yet know you have. Discover that power by looking around, by using any opportunity you can to learn, by meeting people, meeting people who don't fit into your immediate circle. That's what life's about. Go, make a success. And every time you fall, remember, it's just a reminder that when you achieve your success, you're going to be stronger, you're going to be better at it. Okay? Now, um I think I've come to the end of this. Whoa whoa, whoa, whoa wow that's forty five minutes has been speaking for. Well maybe slightly less. Can I look at any questions that have been asked and let's let's get some of these answered or any comments? Are there any questions? Cause if not, put them up now. Amazing talk, you are truly inspired. Oh new ways to think and do Thank you very much. Sass, thank you so much. That means a lot. Mina, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, but if there's anything you want to, to ask, you know, now's the time to do it because I'm here for you. I'm here for all of you. And I wish I was there with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm getting some nice comments. Oh, have I got a question here? How do you stay positive? Right, that's a very, very good question. Because, you know, I am like everyone else. I have down times. But the thing I've learnt is that even if I'm feeling down, if I meet someone else, I don't want them to be affected by my downness. Does that make sense? I can be positive in public at any time time of my life and i've had depression i've had you know quite serious depression i tried to take my life twice in my younger years my god you know i was told by a doctor when i was 17 that i wouldn't live till 22. so here i am 70 approaching 71 i know how to be positive around other people right but you also have to keep telling yourself to be positive you have to keep thinking about what's what can be done rather than what is not available. So, you know, I've learnt a lot through this year. Less money coming in, I now do mean cabbage steaks. You know, I'm eating far less meat, I can't afford it. I've learnt to do things with vegetables I didn't think were possible. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Um, Because, you know, every adversity gives you new skills. Does that make sense? And it provides new opportunities. So I stay positive, because I have got this one philosophy, which I taught myself when I was sleeping out, was the best is yet to come. Embed that. Take that into your mind. The best is yet to come. Now, I'm still saying that when other people have retired. So many people have left, they've said, oh, you know, I've done my bit, I've done my bit. Well, I haven't done my bit. I've still got so much to give. And why shouldn't I, at the age of 70, approaching 71, do something? Any other questions? And people are just joining. What a shame. Dasha, you've just joined. You've just missed it all, but I think you'll see it on on record. Okay? Um, Please, anything you want to ask me... Any comments you want to make, now is the time to do it. I wish I was there with you. And I'm hoping to come to Queen's University at some stage. I hope that the university will invite me at some stage. Um, I just... The best is yet to come, absolutely. That is the best philosophy I have used in my life. And it is a philosophy. Because it's about, you know... Never think your best days are behind you. You know, when people say to young people, these are the best days of your life, it's utter crap. The best days of your life are to come. We say to children, you know, or teenagers who are spotty, they can't get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, they're being bullied at school. And they're miserable, they're getting bullied online, we say, these are the best days of your life. In other words, it's going to go downhill from now on. That's a tradition we've got to stop. Don't tell young people these are the best days of your life. They're still to come. Believe that. This is an extraordinary time for you. Make sure that you use whatever time is coming over the next many years. Use every moment of it to nurture your mind, to enjoy, to feed your senses. To never think that what you haven't achieved is... Significant, because my philosophy is not yet. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, listen, I, I come from an era before. This is how important is it to reconnect with people in person when we can, rather than on our phones. Yes. Look, I can only say that before, you know, when I was growing up, um, it's going back a bit, isn't it? We had a small black and white telly from the age of 11 for me. So I'd never seen a telly before I was 11. And then, of course, I didn't see a telly for, you know, 13 years after I left home. We got a telephone when I was about nine. One of those old Bic-a-like telephones. So what we used to do was go around and knock on someone's door. You know, it sounds very strange, but I'll tell you there is nothing better than personal contact because there's an energy that comes from that that you cannot get. I mean, look, I'm trying to talk to you on a mobile phone interface at the moment through Instagram, and I hope I've done all right. But, you know, if you were there, there would be something happening. There'd be an electricity and that electricity is very hard to recreate. So it really is going to be important to reconnect with people and celebrate the fact that you've got human connection. Because the only way to do something really well is to sit and talk to someone and look in the whites of their eyes, because that tells you so much. And I'm sure after, you know, this experience, people will now realise how important human connection is. So always choose, to meet someone in person and talk to them in person. You know, when you see people, um, you know, ending relationships on, on text. I mean, I can't believe that. Imagine getting a text that say, says that you've just lost your relationship. That's not human. It just doesn't fit. Anything else? Well, can I ask you a question? Did did you enjoy that? Oh, of course I don't know. I'm seeing bubble, I'm seeing little hearts going up, lots of little hearts. I hope that means that at least someone has and it's been an absolute joy to be given the opportunity to talk to you. And, you know, I hope that you've taken something out of this because what do I have at 70? I have life experience, that's it. I have failed, that's it. But failure is always the precursor to success because how do you know you're successful if you haven't failed? Does that make sense? Failure or falling is a precursor to doing something better and getting more from it. So you don't fail, you just have, I mean look, the best people have had multiple fails. Think of all those people who had so many, I think um, Benjamin Franklin, didn't he have something like, you know, two and a half thousand uh, patents and he's only a member for one big invention. So fails are okay. If you don't fail, you can't succeed. And if you don't fail, you become arrogant. If you don't fail, you have no humility. And humility is the quality that we all need. No one likes someone who believes they're impenetrable. There's a few politicians around who are a bit like that, but there you are. I'm not gonna go into politics, but sometimes I wish I had gone into politics because when people say all politicians are the same, it's absolute rubbish, they're not. Some are arrogant, some haven't lived a life and that allows them to relate to people. Others have lived a life and they've gone into politics. They make the best politicians, hands down. So everything that you're going to learn over the next few years is of diamond quality. Use it. Thank you so, so much for listening. And I do hope to meet you. you my name is Mike Stevenson. You can see me on LinkedIn um, or on Twitter. Um, please keep connecting because... I do put things up regularly um, just to remind people of those little nuggets that I've learnt through my life. So, thank you so, so much for being here. Okay? And I hope to see you in Belfast sometime. Bye for now. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast from the Careers Employability and Skills team at Queen's. Music by Ben Sound. To access all GradFest-related resources, please visit our website go.qb.ac.uk slash GradFest 2021 or follow at QB Careers on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.